Please join me as we read from Daniel 3, starting in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, and we ask that you'd help us to understand um, what you're trying to speak to us through this section of scripture today. Please um, be with Grant as he dissects this for us and help us to take in um, your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you, my friend Becky. <clears throat> I left my Bible on the front row. If you have a Bible, open it up. Let's follow along today in, in uh, the story of Daniel, Daniel 3. It's, uh, it's a great story. We got started on this story last week, and we kind of got the boys into the fire last week, and we'll get them out of the fire Children, you know, it's terrifying when I look up from my Bible and a third of the congregation is going, oh. is he behind me right now? Um, <laughs> children, please go to Children's Church and enjoy a story about missions. Yes. Yay. Look at the children. They're so cute. We love the children. You people can be terrifying. Is everybody just waving? <laughs> if only there was some way to write down a note. I'd like to talk about consequences and risk. First, I'd like to talk about, or one of the things I'd like to talk about over the next, you know, while, is the idea that our actions have consequences. You know, not a lot of times when we're talking about consequences, it's a negative connotation. Like you do bad things and bad things happen. And there's plenty of scriptures to give us that and 
plenty of life experiences to give us that. And that's true. Proverbs is probably, probably pretty accurate. But also, when we have faith, when we behave like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sometimes awesome things happen. Your faithfulness has consequences. Your obedience has consequences. Now, not always like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's how it, you know, one of the reasons that this story is um, preserved for us is because this is exceptional. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been making decisions like this their whole lives, and we should too. And we should be making decisions like they've been making their whole lives. So when the time comes where we get to stand up and go, throw me in the fire, I'm not turning my back from Jesus, we too will have an opportunity to have an impact like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you know, these things are, it's not math, it's more like poetry. You can't say this always equals this. But by looking at the consequences of these guys' actions in front of Nebuchadnezzar, it might give us an opportunity to dream a little bit about what faithfulness in us might bring our culture. Like, let's take the judgment hat off today and just let's dream. What if we meant this stuff like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego meant this stuff? What if people said about us stuff that Nebuchadnezzar said about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Let me ask a question. Let me say it this way. Um, was God faithful to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes. Oh, whew, yes. Yes, he was, for sure. Um, would the character of God have been the same if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't have been faithful? Yeah, God is faithful no matter what. The character of God is not corrupted by your lack of faithfulness or your disobedience or your sin. Like the, the character of God is not um, threatened by anything we do, even those of us that call ourselves Christians. Um, so God is faithful even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't. You with me so far? Yeah. That's true of me and you. Like that God is faithful even when I'm a dummy. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Boy, Grant, we've seen you be a dummy a hundred times. God has remained faithful. I know, I know, I know. But at least in this case, at least in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was the faithful obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was their stubborn refusal to bow to the gods of their culture. It was their stubbornness in trusting Yahweh despite the apparent situation. It was their willingness to go, Nebuchadnezzar, we trust that God can save us, but even if he chooses not to, we're, we're Yahweh people. We're not worshiping your God. That stubborn, this was what revealed the faithfulness of God. To the culture. It demonstrated God's faithfulness to everyone. I'm wondering if that's not true of you and me. I'm wondering if that wouldn't be the best way. If, like, instead of like having a an evangelism class and memorizing the right things to say and whatever, I'm wondering if we just lived. In this kind of, I don't care what you do to me, if it means poverty, if it means 
insult. I don't care. I will not turn away and be unfaithful to Christ. I wonder if that would be the best way to reveal the goodness, the faithfulness, the power of God to the world. We like it when God reveals himself through our victories. There I was. I didn't have any money, and I prayed, and then a check showed up in the mailbox, and there I go. God saved me. That's not a lack of a powerful testimony. If that's been your experience and you told people, they probably went, that's great. But I think there is even more power if you go, the check never showed up, yet I will be faithful. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do for us. They give us a story like that. I'm wondering if this is, it, it even isn't what First Peter 2 is talking about. As Peter, you know, like the, the New Testament stuff I'm going to quote today is like Matthew, Peter, John. And you go, these guys knew what suffering was. I'm sure they said that their lives were full of God's victory. But if you would have looked from the outside at their lives, it was devastating. And so Peter writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak up against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? They lived so honorably. They, their refusal to worship the gods of celebrity and self and whatever was so complete that it was unmistakable that God was doing something in them. The Gentiles, the Babylonians, Babylon is the big bad guy. Like in all of like, this is when we say Babylon, we know what we mean. That is like stands for the evil culture that turns away from God. And the leader of Babylon is going to give glory to God because of the faithfulness of these guys. They kept themselves so honorable in an evil culture. Did not set a like, campaign to change the culture, just remained honorable in the culture. And this is what glorified God, demonstrated his power. You know, it's easy to, to kind of say, well, this is an Old Testament story. It's not like God always works like this. Um, and that's true. But still, what if we really led lives that were so stubbornly honorable to God that the world around us was able to come in contact with the glory of God through our sacrifice? Not because we're winning, but because we experience peace and joy in all kinds of situations. Because we are people of praise. Because we are people of prayer. Because we are people of joy. Even as we're going, yahoo, into the fire. I guess what I'm saying is, what if instead of being angry that the world doesn't change to honor God, have you been angry that the world doesn't honor God? Yes, you have. What if instead of spending our energy being experts at pointing out the ways in which the world does not honor God. Instead, we were more concerned on whether we fully honored him 
totally, completely, sacrificially in suffering and see what God might do with that. I'm sure you're well familiar with the 1982 masterpiece, The October Album by U2, and there's a song, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with you people. Um, that's why I'm here, to help. Um, there's a song called Rejoice on that album, and the line Bono sings is, I can't change the world, but I could change the world in me. And, and I wonder if our energy went from, here's the 10 things that Nebuchadnezzar stinks about, to Nebuchadnezzar, I don't care. I just am going to be honorable. I just am with, I'm just with Jesus, and there's nothing you can do about it, no matter what it costs me. I'd also like to think about risk. I'd like to think about consequence. I'd like to think about risk. Because one way of thinking about the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story is that they took great risk to follow their conscience and ultimately be faithful to God. But what if they weren't risk takers at all? What if they just looked at the power of Nebuchadnezzar and then the power of God and were thinking, it is way riskier to turn my back on God and bow to Nebuchadnezzar than it is to turn my back on Nebuchadnezzar and bow to God. See, for their behavior, even in the presence of physical peril, if their behavior, we would see it as like, like I, I don't want to say they weren't courageous. I think they made the safest choice possible. Throw me in the fire with Yahweh. That is way safer than taking me and giving me fancy things in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I don't know what, the, what, what we think the world has to offer us, but for this to be a like courageous and even risky act, and I don't think they felt it was risky. I think their words bear it out that we talked about last week, but, but I'll say it in a second. Um, for this to be like a risky decision that they made as they said, no, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not bound to the statue, whatever you do they would have to think that the power of Nebuchadnezzar was at least equal to or more than the power of Yahweh. And when you think about it like that, you go, I think this was the safest possible choice. The New Testament talks about walking in light versus walking in darkness. Now, sometimes walking in light is much scarier because it is, uh, we see all that the world has and we see what faithfulness might cost us and we see that, man, it's going to cost my kids. You know, they won't be as popular at school. It's going to cost me. I'm not going to get the promotion I would have. It's going to cost, like, we're not going to live the American dream if we're completely faithful to, to Jesus. And gosh, what if something terrible happens and God calls me to teach Sunday school? And or, or like, you know, what, what, if, what if I take seriously the, the role of service in the community and I can't just walk by, um, you know, the whatever place you go, oh no, look at all these people, but I have to like actually pray for them and care for them and welcome them into my home. Like what would happen? I would be in peril. And you go, well, yeah, that's what walking in the light looks like. And sometimes for a while, walking in darkness seems safer. Let's just play by the rules of the world. Let's just, you know, have a little Jesus on the side. Sundays are for Jesus. The rest of the, rest of the week for me. Saturday, wild card. 
<laughs> but we face decisions like this every day. The world looks big and scary, and it demands so much. And it's just getting tougher to live, isn't it? It's just everything is so spread out, and the, the news is so scary, and everything's so expensive. And, and you just feel like if you don't play by the rules, if you don't cut the corners everybody else is cutting, if you don't, you know... Um, do the things to prop yourself up by the world's rules. Like, you just feel like you're going to lose. Ultimately, like, I want to be faithful to Jesus, but I don't want to, like, you know, be miserable doing it. And it, look, that's, it feels like those are your choices. But if we look at the power of our culture and the power of God, the safest choice we could ever make is to turn our back on the culture, live faithfully for Him. I have a friend named Nancy Donnett that some of you know who... I wouldn't tell her whole story because I would tell it wrong. And Nancy Donnett is one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. I've never seen Nancy when she wasn't smiling. I haven't seen her in several years. But when I was a youth pastor, we went a few times to visit her in Fresno. And she was a nurse here at Chomp and, and you, know, doing the, you know, doing a good job, like just living a good life. And took a, I think her took a mission trip, short-term mission trip to the Philippines. God broke her heart. She went to the Philippines full-time as a missionary. That's a big financial drop, I think it's safe to say. And then I think there was a, she had some family thing. Again, it's not my story to tell, so I'm not going to pretend to remember the details. But she had some family thing that brought her back to the United States. And so she moved into, on purpose, the, the worst neighborhood in Fresno, or one of the rougher neighborhoods in Fresno. So she lives in a house that she doesn't have to live in. Like, she could make a good salary and live in the suburbs and do the whole thing. But she lives in this place. She does like, you know, uh, like she calls it Paris, parish nursing, just like people come by and go, ouch. And she helps. And there's all, she works with a youth group in her local church. And there's always kids coming in and out of Nancy's house. And she has said no to the road, less, road most traveled over and over and over and over and over in her life. And I've always looked at Nancy and got, God, how do I be more like that? Just shunning the culture. Isn't that the safest thing we could do? That's the least risky thing we can do. First John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. When we look at the, the world and all that it offers and all that it threatens, we have to look and go, the one who is in me is greater than all that. I wonder if this is what Matthew is talking about. Jesus is, is talking about um, in Matthew 10 as he says, so have no fear of them. So this is a great story. And I promise I'll get to Daniel here in a second. But this is a, it's a great story. And this is Jesus setting his disciples up to go into the world with the gospel. So he's you know, trained them to some extent. He's gathered them, and now he's going to send them in the world, and he is anticipating that they will go and have struggles. Now, they are Jewish people, largely, who are going to Jewish communities, and they're going to have 
conflict from other Jewish followers of God. And Jesus knows it. And so he says, have no fear of them. So he's talking about people that would persecute his first disciples. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Hey, don't have fear of the culture. Your motivations, how you're living your life is going to be revealed. There will be justice, but it might not look like that for a while. So, so nothing, will, um, nothing that is covered will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light that what you uh, hear whispered, proclaim on housetops. So this is what I'm saying. We've been like, this has been a discipleship group. Now go say the, say the stuff we've been talking about. Go say it to everybody. And do not... Fear those who, can, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him. And there is some controversy over who him is. Is him Satan or is him God? Who is it that can kill the soul? We'll talk about that sometime when I'm preaching through um, Matthew. But the point is to fear those who can only bring financial ruin and physical pain when actually there's a much bigger game going on, is foolish. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. And I wonder if this is the New Testament teaching that very closely corresponds to the Old Testament action of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I see the fire. I can feel the heat coming off it. Seven times hotter than normal. A billion D degrees. And yet, I think the safest thing is for me to go, I won't do it. Throw me in. Because they know their value before God. I know my God is able to save us. If he doesn't, that'll be a choice he makes. But I know who God is and how he feels about me. I know I'm more valuable than the sparrows. I know he knows every hair on my head. I can trust him. The stupidest thing I could possibly do would be to turn my back on him. So we might think of it like this. Every decision that we make to either live lives publicly honoring God or, or decisions to compromise our faith, to make decisions to glorify Him, every decision we make to even evangelize, to every decision we make to, to serve, to love, to keep Jesus as our priority is really many future decisions. Every act of integrity or every act of compromise has the potential to have consequences in a million different ways that we can never predict. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's single act of integrity changes the course of Nebuchadnezzar's life in the kingdom of Babylon. Not only that, but their act of faithfulness, their refusal to honor these Babylonian gods, stands as a testimony to us. Like Nancy's decision to go live where she lives and do what she does stands as a testimony to me. So what, what do you want? Like, what do you want your life to be about? Like, what's the safer bet? Fully, sacrificially, even if it means suffering, living for Christ, or 
living in line with the culture and having a little bit of Jesus on the side? What's safer? All right. Let's dig in. I think that's the big idea, though, is that Yahweh is stronger than the Babylonian gods. We would say Jesus is the Most High God, and the best way for the world to see that Jesus is the Most High God is Christians living like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 24, we talked about this last week, but let's get a running start and talk about it again. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to him, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are uh, not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Guys, I just want to point out that there is no Nebuchadnezzar rising up in astonishment without Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego falling into the fire. And I don't know that every time we suffer, this is not a one-for-one correlation. Like I said, this is not the first time that these guys had rejected the gods of Babylon. I'm sure they'd spent their whole life doing it. This is the one we hear about because it was pretty intense and exceptional. But here's the deal. There might come a time in the future where it's exceptional and intense, and you might have a moment where there's people watching, and it costs you something dear. And it could be that all of the little decisions you make day in and day out are strengthening you, are training you, are building that muscle so you can endure suffering sometime in the future in Jesus' name. I even think that as a church, not a church, but the church, but also a church, that man, as we compromise with the culture, if there ever comes a time when there's real persecution, we're going to crumble. But if we live lives of sacrificial worship, then when persecution comes, we go, ah, Throw me in the fire, see if I care. Do me a favor. There's no rising up in astonishment by Nebuchadnezzar without first the believer's suffering. We are so afraid of suffering. We are so afraid of anything that makes us uncomfortable. That's not (laughs) Christian-y. It's okay to be uncomfortable for the sake of loving your neighbor and loving God. The other thing I see here is last week we talked about the presence of God and the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't want to spend much time considering whether this is a theophany that's a, or a Christophany. Is this actually the second person of the Trinity? Is that Jesus in the fire? I would say probably not. They don't worship the person in the fire um, with them. Ange- and also angels are very prominent in Daniel. Angels are, are all over the, the story in Daniel. And Jesus is clearly in Daniel 7 and the picture here and the picture there are not a great fit. So I would say this is probably an angel that God sent. Um, but if you disagree with me, you're right. That's fine. Um, still, the point of the presence of God is obviously God is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a way that they, were never, that they would have never known if they bowed to that statue. We all want to know what the presence of God feels like. The most common question, 25 years as a youth pastor, the most common question is how do I hear God's voice? What if it's suffer? Say no to the culture. That's when you're going to hear him. That's when the presence of God is going to be most palpable in your life. I think theologically, you and I would say, well, even before that guy, that fourth man was in the, in the uh, um, fire, was God with them? Sure. 
And yet it's in response to their sacrifice and suffering that they know it. I guess I'm just asking, where's our furnace? (laughs) You know, what's the thing that we go, I'm just not bowing down to the culture in this way. There's lots of financial examples of that. There's lots of like how we use our sexuality and how we use um, our relationships and how we use um, our, our neighbor and the people around us and our stuff. There's a million examples, but where is it that we are looking at the culture and loving them instead of hating them? Where is it that we are so fiercely in love with Jesus that we are willing to suffer? Or do we only count victory as when we feel good and feel like we're winning? Where is it that we as a church, where is it that we as families, where is it that we as individuals are tingling with the presence of God because we've followed Him into places where He's the only one that could sustain us? I think this story is a call to live so radically for Jesus that we can sense His presence and His glory. And I just, it breaks my heart to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, cross your fingers, bow to the statue, and experiencing none of this. And it breaks my heart how many times I've crossed my fingers and gone with the culture. And then gone, I don't feel God's presence. Verse 26 picks up, the Nebuchadnezzar, um, by the way, this is what the spiritual disciplines are about. If you're like, well, what could I sacrifice? Like, how could I say no? Start spiritual disciplines. Fast. I know I say that a lot. You guys go fast. Check out the fat guy telling us to fast. No, seriously. Overweight and a faster. Believe it or not, it's fully possible. Um, like, don't eat for a day. You'll think about God, I promise. Um, like, like, give. Oh, the pastor's asking for money. Fine, don't give here. Give somewhere. But you take, start with 10% and go up from there. You take a significant amount of money that you go, mine. And you go, maybe not mine. And watch. See if God doesn't sustain you and see if you don't, aren't more mindful of God in your life. Serve somebody that drives you nuts. Probably there's plenty. If you look at a ministry and go, ah, pfft, ah, that's not me, go do that. Forgive people that it, you have to grind your teeth the first time. But the hundredth time, 70 times seven, a lot of times, forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. They don't owe you anything. They don't owe you anything. They don't owe you anything. The cross was enough. The cross was enough. The cross was enough. And see if you don't sense the presence of God in your life. Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture is an incredible act of self-denial. Do you feel like doing that? Michael does. Nobody else in here really feels like doing that. (laughs) Pray. Set time aside. Set energy aside. These are the ways we build the muscles of self-denial in our lives so that we sense the presence of God in our lives and so we're more able to turn down the culture. 
if there comes a time when you have to step out and really suffer for Christ, if you have a life of fasting, giving, and service behind you, I would say you have much better shot at coming through in that moment than if you have a life of selfishness and comfort behind you. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They came out from the fire, and the satraps and all the dudes came out and saw him, and uh, the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. A couple things from this section. First of all, notice what a public event this is. Very much in line with miracle motifs in Scripture. We're always told how many people saw it. You know, this is like you got to have an audience. It, was, it didn't happen in secret, but this is a very public event. And it's not so, and, and we're kind of, we see that this is not just God. God doing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a solid. And it gets taught like that, like they were faithful and so God saved them. Well, those both are true, but that's not actually what's going on here. Rather, this is a victory of Yahweh over the Babylonian gods and it happens in public. The point was not the salvation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we are so Western in thought, we think everything is all about us. We think every victory is because God didn't want me to be sad. But that's not what's happening here. Would God have been glorified through the martyrdom of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Sure. But rather, this is God going, oh, you asked for it. Ding, ding. This miracle is about the power of God and especially compared to the, the power of Nebuchadnezzar's God. If you don't bow to my statue, I'm going to throw you in there. Fine, throw me in there. Let's not pretend that God hasn't been active in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's lives before. He's, he has been sustaining them. He has been keeping them. But this is a show of force, not just for Nebuchadnezzar, but for everyone. I love this. Man, this plan backfired on Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to bring all the leaders to make a point of these guys. And actually, the point that got made was that their gods are impotent in front of Yahweh. I also want to talk just a minute, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important. Um, allow me to correct a common error in my humble opinion that I've heard many, many times in my life that if God is active in our lives, this is what it'll look like. People latch on, and I read this you know, over the last couple of weeks, people latch on to the complete salvation, uh, the complete rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they didn't even smell like smoke and that they came, they came out of the fire. And if God is working in your life, that's how it's gonna be. It's gonna be complete and all that. And I go, I think that is pretty heretical. Yep. God totally works that way, completely saves us. He is active in our lives in many miraculous ways. And, but I've just heard it, that this is how you can tell that God is active in your life, if there's like complete healing. It usually looks something like this. You'll know that it's God at work in your life because you'll experience complete healing. The cancer will be gone and the doctors will be amazed. It'll, the check will come in the mailbox for the whole amount of the trouble you're in. Or this estranged relationship will find perfect resolution and laughter and joy. But there's a couple of problems with that idea. First of all, the, it, that names God as the great healer, but not the great sustainer. 
It might be true that your life is hard and God is good. In fact, I would say that's normative. That what happens in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life is exceptional. But the truth, even in their lives up to this point, was being sustained in the middle of Babylon. Maybe that illness stays, but you learn that God's grace is enough. Maybe the check doesn't show up in the mail, and yet God proves that he cares about you more than sparrows and lilies of the valley. Maybe the relationship doesn't get fixed, and we learn that God's perfect grace allows us to have hearts of forgiveness, even if reconciliation has to wait for eternity. That's how it worked for Paul. Do you remember Paul? I prayed and prayed and prayed. Take this from me, God. And God said, my grace is enough. That's how it worked for Jesus. God, if there's any way, would you take this from me? But not my will, your will. The other problem with that line of thinking is that the idea that if God is involved, healing is always complete. Let's be honest, that healing is on our terms. It denies the idea that God can be glorified in our suffering. And that is a very Western idea. Most of the church in all of history would go, God is not glorified in our suffering. All we do is suffer. Weren't the apostles glorifying God in their martyrdom? Wasn't Jesus glorifying God as the crown of thorns was crammed on his head? Haven't you ever seen someone glorify God in their suffering? Have you not seen someone ill and broke and also refusing to not cease worshiping God? Didn't that make an impression on you like comfort never would have? Think about Job. Think about the persecuted church. And you know, I hope to encourage you. I, I, I don't want to discourage you, but I do want to correct that common component in this passage that if God is at work in your life, we spend so much time saying things like, and I hear this, like we're waiting for God to work in our lives. We're just being faithful and waiting for God to work. We're waiting on our miracle, I hear. What if the miracle is God's presence in your life right now, sustaining you in the middle of trials and suffering? Glorify Him right now. Don't wait until you're comfortable to glorify God. You don't need to come out of the furnace unscathed to glorify God. Our faithfulness in the furnace glorifies God just like the sign miracle that pulls us out of the fire. But check out, I mean, check out these words as I close here in the next few minutes. Check out these words from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. Like they disobeyed me. It was great. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He's not all the way there. <laughs> Turns out that, like, 
missionary work by military conquest is not a new idea. <laughs> you know, this is like, follow Yahweh or I'll kill you. Is not probably, he's not all the way there yet. But he's somewhere. He's not where he was. And king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at this testimony. Nebuchadnezzar has said stuff similar to this before. And I don't know that we'd say he's all the way there, but next week and the week after, he will be. He's not all the way to understanding who God is yet, who Yahweh is. But, you know, worship Yahweh or I'll murder you. Not quite right. But, but God is doing something in Nebuchadnezzar and in Babylon. And look at Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is not, and then I lost the election and I knew God was good. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is not, I was reading this excellent commentary and I discovered something. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Blessed be their God because he rescued them. They had to be in peril to be rescued. He saw God rescue them. What if we gave our culture the opportunity to watch God rescue us because of our stubbornness to worship anything but him? It says they trusted God. Man, do your neighbors, do my neighbors go, tell me about the Combs family. They trust God. I see it all over. Is that the testimony of Lighthouse? Nebuchadnezzar says they were willing to yield up their bodies rather than worship another God. What an amazing testimony and I don't know if that you can go out and do that today but there might come a time when you have the opportunity to yield up comfort to yield up your will maybe even yield up your body in the name of Jesus and if you're going to be able to do that then you should probably live lives of sacrifice now I guess I just want to close with the question, do we crave that? Do we crave other people seeing the glory of God, seeing the, the faithfulness of God, knowing who God is? Do we crave that enough to suffer, to sacrifice, to die to ourselves, to love our neighbor, to forgive, to stop telling people why they're wrong and going, I don't even want to address why you're right or wrong. Can I just love you? Can I serve you? Is there a way that I can you know, benefit you in some way? Is there a way that the love of Jesus can come through me to the world? What if that was our testimony? What if all people knew about us was that we were willing to sacrifice for others? You know, love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors, ourselves. that kind of stuff. Do we crave it? Do we want it? I don't know that God wants all of us to go through this kind of intense suffering. I think it's you know, downright funny that Daniel's not in this. I don't know where Daniel was. Like, I don't know if Daniel's like out of town for the statue thing or if he was close enough to Nebuchadnezzar where they had like a behind the doors. Look, dude, I'm not bowing. All right, just stay out of the way. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But God didn't ask Daniel to get to jump in the fire. So I don't know what God will ask of us. 
But I do know that loving anyone fully means forsaking all others. And that in the same way that I couldn't stand 27-ish years ago and tell Tiffany, I take you as my wife, forsaking almost all others. (laughs) Sounds really dumb. And yet, do we go, God, I am going to follow you almost completely. But I'm keeping my bank account. But I'm keeping my kids. But I'm keeping my family. But I'm keeping my career. Dude, jump in the fire. It's safer. It's smarter. And we just might be the reason people acknowledge the glory of God. What if we all thought through, am I willing to struggle, lack of comfort? What is the safest life? What might be the consequences, not only of my sin that I want to stay away from, what might be the consequences of my faithfulness? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for a good story. Lord, it's inspirational. It's convicting to me. Lord, I don't know that you're going to ask any of us to have this kind of a situation where we're in this kind of physical, immediate peril. But God, it might happen. And we want to be prepared. Lord, we want to be just so used to worshiping you, so used to saying no to the culture, so used to saying no to ourselves, so used to repentance and self-denial that if that situation come, the most natural thing that would roll off our tongue is, no, I'm not bowing to the culture. I'm going to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. So God, I also know that this is the path to joy. Living for ourselves doesn't work. So God, as a church and as individuals and as families, would you help us to be people that live our lives like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And God, we do pray for our culture. Lord, it's not our hope to abandon the culture you've put us in, rather to love it. Lord, it does break our heart that so much of our culture seems so antithetical to the world you designed and want, and even antithetical to human thriving. And God, there's, there's so much evil, and we see it all over, and it, it's, it's difficult to not just respond in anger, but God, would you help us to respond in worship of you and love of our neighbor? Teach us to give, teach us to sacrifice, teach us to be people who find joy in you and you alone. And God, it's our greatest hope starting right here in Seaside, that this church would actually be a lighthouse where people would look at our lives and glorify you. God, our, we crave that. We would love for people to look at the way we're living our lives and acknowledge your goodness. Show us how, God. In Jesus' name, amen.